Thanks, Jono, for reading. And um, we also need to say big congrats to Jono and Esther on their engagement. Yeah, worth a, a clap, I think. Uh, and I was going to say happy anniversary to um, uh, Josh and Hannah, but I don't think they're here, but that's okay. Josh and Hannah's wedding one year ago today was the last thing we did before we couldn't do anything. Uh, so that's a good memory to have. Uh, if, if we haven't met before, my name's Ben. I'm the minister of the church here. Uh, if you are here for the first time, it's great to have you, and I hope tonight is helpful for you. Let me say it's a challenge to kind of land in the middle of a series and this is week 28 in Luke's Gospel. And so there's been kind of 27 other Sundays that we've been thinking about this part of the Bible together. If you think, oh, I'd like to catch up or get into a bit more of that, I, I highly recommend The Essential Jesus, which is Luke's Gospel, to explore the story of Jesus afresh. If you want to place that in the picture of, of the rest of the Bible, which is a super important thing to do, and you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles up the back too. As in, you can have it. You can take that home and read it. Read it with a friend. Read it on your own. Highly recommended. I'm going to pray and then we're going to think about that part of um, Luke 16 together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks that we're here tonight. We thank you for the Bible and for Jesus. Thank you for his clarity and for the way that he knows us so well. He is God in the flesh. We pray that you would help us to listen to him properly and that we would be changed forever because of it and that when we leave here tonight, uh, in our hearts, in our minds, we would be singing of his power to save and we pray that you would help us toward that end for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, I don't think I would call myself an entrepreneur. I'm the kind of person that sees good ideas and say, oh, that's a good idea. I wish I had thought of that. Um, my, I think my biggest entrepreneurial moment in my life was when I was kind of, I think five, but it must be older than that, maybe six to eight, something like that. And uh, I was standing in my garage and uh, I saw a giant pile of cash. This is how my reasoning went. Every day, people pay money for a newspaper, back when people paid money for newspapers, right? And here we have a giant pile of newspapers that we don't even want anymore. I will put them in my wagon and I'll walk around the street and I'll make some cash out of these old newspapers. So I walked around the street and... Um, the amusement of my neighbours, I, I sold old newspapers. And I can tell you, because of the cute factor, um, if I can say so myself, I made a decent amount of cash. It was a good little Bunsen burner, a good little earner for a, for a little kid, until my parents found out and were horrified that I'd been selling old news around the neighbourhood and graciously all our neighbours were happy for me to keep the money. Here's the thing. Is Jesus in Luke 16 telling us that that's a good way to operate in the world? Do whatever you got to do to make a little bit of cash for the sake of his kingdom. 
even if it's a little bit sly, a little bit backhanded, even if you've got to fudge the numbers just a little bit. It's Jesus calling us to be a bit dishonest like the bloke in the story. Because instinctively, right, I'm hoping intuitively you're like, of course not, though it sounds a little bit like. Hopefully you're not like, yeah, typical Jesus telling us to do the wrong thing and, you know, be criminals. Because that's how probably some of the religious people of the day would have heard Jesus, because that's what they thought of him. This is the guy who says you don't have to keep the law anymore. So Jesus saying, yeah, you don't have to keep the law and actually you can be a criminal, they'd go, yeah, typical Jesus. Here he goes again. So what is it that Jesus is commending and saying to disciples, to people who want to follow him, people who think he's the Lord of the universe, he's saying you should be a little bit like this dishonest person. What is it that he's telling us we should be like if we want to follow him in this life? We're going to explore that a little bit together tonight. So here's the thing. The eggheads uh, tell me that um, Jesus talks about money maybe 14% or one in every seven verses. Does that make, does that work? Anyway, that's what I've got written down here. Jesus talks about money a lot which is smart of Jesus because he knows our hearts. He knows how the world works. He knows, as he says at the end of our little section, that really people are going to make decisions about whether they're going to serve money and the things of this world or they're going to serve Jesus and you can't have a crack at doing both. I don't know if you've ever had a CT scan not great if you're claustrophobic and you've got to lie really still for a long time as the big donut kind of spins around you and it goes over your whole body and can see all the way inside you even down to the to the uh, blood vessels right jesus knows that kind of he can apply the ct scan to our hearts and find out what's going on in there simply by holding up our wallet You hold up your wallet to see how you think about money, how you you long for money, how you use money, how you earn money. And by doing that, you get something of a CT scan into how your heart is with God. Does the way you use money actually reflect what you think about God? whether he's valuable, whether he's the most important person in the universe, whether everything in this world and everything in your life actually belongs to him. As you hold up the wallet like a CT scan, does it sort of say, see how I am serving God with everything that I have that he's entrusted to me in this life? That's kind of where Jesus is, is trying to get us to think about, I think, when he points out this dishonest manager in chapter 16. Here's the thing. Uh, Jesus never says that if you give God money, he'll give you eternal life. 
Uh, Jesus never says, if you give God money, he'll give you more money. Jesus never says anything like that, and we want to be crystal clear that that's not from the Bible. You cannot buy God's love. Even the Beatles kind of knew that, right? You cannot buy God's love. You cannot buy your way into heaven. But you can invest in heaven in the way that you use your money and the resources that God has given you, the way that you use your property, the way that you use anything that you have in this world. By demonstrating that Jesus is the most valuable treasure in the whole wide world, that heaven and hell are real, and that what you're concerned about above everything else is that people would know, as we've already sung, the eternal hope of sharing in Jesus' glory and his power to save. When you get to a tricky passage like Luke 16, the key thing is to think about context as it is every time you read the Bible. Where does this fit in what's come before, in what Jesus is like and what he usually says and what he's been teaching up until this point? And so as we come to something tricky like this parable in chapter 16, you've got to think, what's Jesus been talking about up until here? And uh, if you've been coming week on week, you know that we keep coming back to this question that got asked back in chapter 13 that's kind of been a controlling question for the last month or so. When someone said to Jesus, as everyone's walking towards Jerusalem, recognising that Jesus is the saviour of the world and saying to him, Jesus... Will only a few people be saved? Which is a great question to ask, especially of Jesus, recognising that he's in charge of the whole salvation thing. When it comes to who's forgiven of their sins, who will go to heaven, who will enjoy God forever and belong to his kingdom, Jesus is the one who's in charge. And so asking him that question is exactly the right thing to do. And so the last month in Luke's gospel since chapter 13 Jesus has been talking about that not saying he's in and he's out and she's probably in and I think she's one of my ones but saying well here's how it works if you want to belong to Jesus kingdom if you want life after death and enjoy his eternal future with him forever, if you want the forgiveness of sins and to know the God who made you and who loves you, you need to enter through the narrow door. You need to deny yourself and make Jesus the centre of your life. You need to trust and follow him. You need to know that he has come into the world to seek And to save the lost, to find lost sinners like you and me and to bring them back to God. And it's in that context that Jesus then starts to talk about this dishonest manager in chapter 16. It's having just taught last week in chapter 15 that the central priority of his life is to find lost sinners, wayward sinners who need to come home and find forgiveness by their heavenly father that is the central thing that jesus is doing in the world therefore that must be the most important thing that we can be part of in the world and then he turns to his disciples and says are you tracking with that reality 
Are you tracking with the reality that Jesus came into the world to save sinners? Because all of us by nature and choice are under God's judgment. We're separated in sin and death and we need to be rescued and lifted out of our own sin and rescued from eternal death and brought into eternal life. And if that's true, Jesus says to his disciples, it's like he turns to them and says, if that's true, muster all the resources that you've got, make all the smart and shrewd decisions, harness all the wisdom that God stitched into the universe and deploy those things for the sake of that kingdom. That's what he's saying to his disciples. If this is true, If Jesus and his kingdom is the very centre of the universe and needs to be the centre of your life, then that's going to include your wallet and your home. It's going to be including the things that you do in your job and the way that you go about it and how you think about the money that comes into your account. It's going to, it's going to shape the way you think about retirement and investing for the future. It's going to shape the way that you save and the way that you give and the things that you give towards and the causes that you say I'm in with. The point that Jesus makes, the big thing that we want to take home tonight is if a dishonest manager, he can make smart decisions based on future realities. How much more should a disciple of Jesus make smart decisions based on future realities? That's where we're going. Uh, Luke 16, let's try and unpack a bit of the details together. Uh, he's addressing his disciples and he's turning, uh, uh, he turns to them to teach them this story about a rich man whose manager is either incompetent or corrupt, probably a bit of both. Have a look at verse 3. Let's look at the story. The manager says to himself, once he's been given his notice, he's losing his job, he's been found out. He's not like, okay, what shall I do now? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. I need a future plan because I'm going to lose my job, probably lose my house, I'm not going to have any resources, I'm going to need hospitality, I need people to want to offer me hospitality. And I can relate to this guy, he sounds a lot like me, I'm not strong enough to dig, I'm ashamed to beg. I can only do one job in this world. Right? And so thinking about his future, he reconfigures the debts so that people will like him and offer him hospitality. Now, what is he doing? Is he either removing the illegal interest that he had already stacked onto people's debts? Uh, is it that this is how his commission structure had worked and so he kind of had that freedom in his job to kind of cut the, the debts in half? It's hard to know. Uh, it's hard to know um, exactly what it is that's going on, except that the um, uh, the master kind of commends the manager 
for doing something smart. I guess better a $400 debt that's paid than a $900 debt that's not paid is maybe the master's commendation. And so what is it that Jesus concludes? Have a look at verse 8. Well, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. It's the shrewdness, right, that Jesus is commending, not the dishonesty. And shrewdness is that kind of the ability to look at the world, to understand how God has kind of made things work and to be able to strategically navigate and make decisions with good outcomes. It's, it's navigating in between, it's not waste and it's not stinginess, but shrewdly navigating the world based on wisdom that God has stitched in and made available to everybody and make wise and strategic decisions based on future realities, right? It's street smarts that Jesus is commending. And the point that he's making is that maybe the people of the light, Jesus' followers, sometimes aren't as street smart as they need to be. Keep praying, keep reading your Bible, keep telling people about Jesus, but at the same time, there's a whole lot of people out here who don't yet know Jesus, and it would be shrewd, it would be strategic, it would be eternally minded and smart to harness the wisdom of the world and the resources that God has given you and deploy them for the sake of people and Jesus' eternal future. That's kind of the picture that we're given from Jesus. If smart business people know how to do this, then smart, gospel-minded Jesus people ought to do that too. Does that make sense? It's a bit like um, some years ago there's a um, um, a venture capitalist in Australia named Graham Tuckwell. He's got like a lot of money. And he gave $50 million to ANU. But he said to ANU, this is for people. I want you to take my $50 million and invest in students in their education for the sake of the future of our nation. People are like, well, that's a very generous, very smart thing to do. Jesus would look at a Graham Tuckwell and look at his disciples and say, see, this guy's worked out that a good investment in the future is an investment in people. Don't you have the answers to the eternal destiny of people and where God is taking his whole world? So based on that future reality, why wouldn't you deploy all your resources in that direction and make smart decisions for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom? We know that's how Jesus teaches because we've been seeing him do this week in and week out, right? 
If you've been coming week on week, you know that Jesus teaches so often in Luke's Gospel from the lesser to the greater. If this is true, how much more is this true? If people in the world who don't know God and their picture of the future is a lot shorter than eternity, if they haven't understood whose world this is and who's given them the resources that they have, if they can make shrewd and smart and strategic decisions for the sake of people, surely you who've heard the good news of Jesus and experienced his forgiveness and have had your eyes lifted to the horizon of eternity, surely you can deploy your resources in that direction. Do you see all the lesser to the greater in this? Have a look at verse 9 with me. Verse 9, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you haven't been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you haven't been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Do you see that? Little to much. Worldly wealth, true riches. Someone else's, your own. It's a picture of Jesus saying, if you haven't understood worldly wealth, and deployed that for the sake of true riches. Have you really understood the gospel? When the stuff that you have now and the money that's in your back pocket, which, guess what, doesn't belong to you, if you haven't used that word, that well, how will you, uh, who will give you your own property? Do you see that picture? Jesus is saying that everything that you have, whatever's in your pockets, wherever you live, whatever's in the bank, whatever's in your super, the job that you have, whatever resources that you have at your disposal that you can muster and harness in this world, they are loaned to you. Because the world is the Lord's and everything in it, including everything in your bank account. And he's loaned it to you to be used for his glory. And once again, to come back to our CT scan, how you use those worldly riches, the worldly resources, the things of this, this world, how you use that reflects what your view of eternity is. Jesus also reminds us of something that we know to be intellectually true, but I wonder when the rubber hits the road whether we actually live like it's true. In verse 9, Jesus points us to the thing that we know to be intellectually true, that is... One day, everything we have in this world will be gone. And I wonder, when the rubber hits the road, if we actually live like that's true. That I can hold loosely to the things of this world, knowing that they're very temporary, and I can't hold on to them anyway. 
but I will hold very tightly to Jesus and to his eternal life that can never perish, spoil or fade, that can never be snatched away, even by death. Do you live like that's true? Or if you hold up the CT scan of your wallet, would that be inverted? Would it look like you're holding really tightly to something that cannot last and holding kind of loosely to the only thing that will last? Martin Luther, the great reformer said, I have held many things in my hands and I've lost them all. But whatever I have placed in Jesus' hands, I still possess. It's a great challenge, isn't it? In the book of Hebrews, we read this, this verse that I love, that I feel challenged by which is a picture of holding loosely to the things of this world and holding tightly to the only thing that will last, which is Jesus and his kingdom. Hebrews 10.34 says, You sympathised with those in prison and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. If you know that everything you have in this world is on loan and cannot last, but Jesus will last forever. When they walk through the door and say, we're taking all your stuff, you will be able to joyfully accept that reality because you know that you have, in Jesus and his future, the only thing that will last anyway. It's truer, it's better, it's more permanent. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says to them, are you going to live like that's actually true? And here's the thing. Jesus knows our hearts. And he knows how easily we attach our hearts to the things of this world. Which is why he constantly wants to point us to what is ultimate and what is true and what is good and what is beautiful in his kingdom. That we might keep ripping our hearts off the things of this world that will not last. And fixing them on him. His challenge is for us to divert our resources to harness the wisdom of the world and to to deploy that in the direction of people for the sake of Jesus' kingdom. Giving to the local ministry of the church to, to keep preaching Jesus, keep funding missionaries to go to the ends of the earth with Jesus' amazing gospel, giving money to relieve poverty and to help the poor joyfully giving away the things that you have with wisdom and shrewdness because you know that you have a better and lasting possession in Jesus and his kingdom. But he wants you to do that for your good as well. 
not just for the sake of the people that you're serving in doing that, not just for the sake of the nations and those people who don't yet know Jesus. Jesus wants you to hold loosely to the things of this world and tightly to him because that's good for you too. And he knows all too well that the temptation of my heart and I'm guessing yours is that we'll keep attaching our hearts to the things of this world and therefore holding more loosely to Jesus than we ought. Which is why he says at the end, you need to get this right because it won't work if you actually try to serve two masters. If you think, no, no, I can hold tightly to the things of this world and tightly to Jesus. The Lord of the universe says, no, you can't. You will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So make sure money is your servant and Jesus is your master. And that you make money serve him in your life and in the world rather than you serving money and stuff. Because it's not worth it. But Jesus is. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves and that he can speak right in to the nitty-gritty of our wallets and how we think about the stuff of this world. We pray that by your Spirit you would help us to see Jesus as the greatest treasure and that we would hold on to him with everything that we've got, that we might deploy the resources that you've entrusted to our care with wisdom, with street smarts, with shrewdness, the things of this world would only ever be our servants and not our master so that we wouldn't let go of Jesus and we would hold on to that better and that lasting possession that is him and his eternal kingdom. Amen.